The month of May is Stroke Awareness Month. Dr. Christine Holmstead, Professor of Neurology and Emergency Medicine and the Medical Director of the Medical University of South Carolina's Comprehensive Stroke Program and the Teleneuroscience Program, says she wants South Carolinians in particular to understand how to reduce their risk of stroke and what to do if you or a loved one suffers a stroke. It is time for South Carolina to look and say, we need to live healthier. We need to, you know, know our numbers. We need to have better access to primary care and we need to take care of ourselves. So we need to make sure that we take time out of our lives to go and get screened for these chronic conditions that could lead to not only stroke, but heart attack and renal failure and all sorts of other um, horrible, horrible um, diseases. And so I, I really like to focus on this you know, continue our, our acute treatment and our secondary prevention, which is after the stroke. But for primary prevention, for those that have family history of vascular disease especially, it's really, really important to, to, to go and, and, you know, be plugged in with a primary care physician and know your numbers. I can't tell you how many times um, I meet people and they say, well, my mom had a stroke, my grandma had a stroke, you know, my grandfather had a stroke, you know, and they come in and they don't seem surprised that they have a stroke. I want people mm -hmm to know if they have family history of these diseases, that they need to get screened um, so that they don't have a stroke and they don't have a heart attack um, or any any sort of vascular disease. Dr. Holmstead, can you help us understand how you identify a stroke? So stroke can um, present with several pretty common symptoms. Um, the ones that we like are, you know, our general public to, to be able to identify are things like um, abrupt onset of difficulty walking. So, you know, problems with balance, um, abrupt, onset of loss of vision in an eyeball or half of the world, uh, facial drooping that comes on abruptly, um, difficulty with speech, so slurring of speech or inability to make words that make sense or understand someone speaking, um, arm or leg weakness or both that come on abruptly or numbness of the arm and leg that come on abruptly. Um, and the most important thing we want people to remember is if they experience any of those symptoms or witness any of those, of those symptoms at all, it's, it's really important to call 911 immediately to seek immediate attention at the emergency department. Why is time a factor? Time is so important because um, there are only two treatments that we have for acute stroke. One is in the, an IV medication called TPA or TNK, um, pretty much the same medication. They are given through the IV in the arm, um, but they're very time sensitive and we need to give that medication within um, four and a half hours from the left, no normal. So that means the last time the person was not experiencing any symptoms. Um, we also know that the earlier we get the medication, the much better patients do and have a much better chance at a complete recovery or a near complete recovery. So the faster we treat, the better patients do, and they also have a lower risk of any sort of complication. The second treatment is basically a, a minimally invasive procedure that's performed by neurodevascular surgeons where they can run catheters into the arteries that go into the brain to suck out large clots. But again, these treatments, the faster they're done from the time of less than normal, um, the better the patient does and the lower the risk of any complications. Are strokes hereditary? So if patients have family members that have vascular risk factors, so if patients or people have family members with heart attack or stroke history, then they have a higher chance of having a stroke. So it isn't necessarily genetic, but it means that if people have family members with risk factors for vascular disease, such as 
heart attack or stroke or have experienced heart attack or stroke, then they are more likely to experience a heart attack or a stroke. Can a stroke patient fully recover? Absolutely. So patients that are treated very, very early in that time window um, tend to do much, much better and have a higher likelihood of actually having a complete recovery. Um, from the old clinical trials back in the 90s, that was a long, long time ago, and without all the experience that we've had over the last three decades, but back way back in the 1990s, um, the clinical trials showed that 30% of patients that got just the cough-busting medicine actually returned to normal or near normal, and this included big strokes. Um, we are now very, very comfortable treating big strokes and even smaller um, but disabling strokes. So strokes with uh, with lower um, disability, but still patients that, that need treatment, they tend to do very, very well and um, have a much higher likelihood of being discharged to an acute rehab um, and, and or also home. So um, they absolutely can completely reverse their symptoms. I know it varies from patient to patient, but on average, how long does it take a person to recover from a stroke? The studies that we did, again, back in the 90s showed that at the 90-day mark, and that was just a, sort of an arbitrary date that was selected to say, let's get these patients back and that were in the study at 90 days and to see who was, you know, how, what their level of disability was at that point. And again, 30% of patients at that point had a near or complete recovery. Um, we know that number is slightly higher now because we're treating much smaller strokes. Um, but the percentage is greater than 30% that will be back to normal at, at that 90-day mark. Dr. Holmstead, if someone believes they are experiencing a stroke and they are alone, what should they do? Karen, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, I've seen lots of patients that are experiencing kind of mild symptoms, but still um, disabling that try to get themselves to a doctor or to, you know, an emergency department. They should never try to do that. They should absolutely dial 911 if they can. They should call for help immediately. Um, patients with bigger, sort of more uh, significant deficits, of course, that may be more difficult, but anything that they can do to get attention from someone to help them, you know, to summon an ambulance, that that would be highly recommended. So um, if they can get to their cell phone, if they can use their cell phone, they have emergency um, ways on the phone to call if you press your, your home button three times, uh, that will get an ambulance or a fire department connection immediately. Um, but the most important thing to do is to not try to get yourself to get help. It's most important to come by an ambulance because those patients that come by ambulance, the stroke teams are actually pre-notified to their arrival. So when a stroke patient arrives at the hospital, the stroke team is waiting for, for that patient so that treatment can be administered immediately. Most patients who come in with symptoms of stroke are they aware that that's what's happening to them? What has your experience been with that, Dr. Homestead? It really depends on what type of stroke they're having. So strokes happen in different parts of the brain and can cause different symptoms. Um, the ones that I described earlier, kind of the more obvious ones, the weakness, the difficulty with speech, those are ones that really um, sort of throw up the flag that there's something wrong. But as a neurologist, we're able to find even more um, kind of subtle findings that most patients wouldn't recognize. Some stroke patients will actually have neglect, and this is typically from a stroke in the right side of the brain, um, and they won't recognize that they even have weakness, yet they can't move their, their whole entire left side of their body. Sometimes they can't even recognize their own left side of the body if you hold it up and show it to them, and that's a pretty uh, severe uh, form of what we, what we call a cortical sign of neglect. Patients that present with what we call aphasia, where they can't speak or understand speech, 
it's hard to tell if they know that they're having a stroke, but we do often see kind of frustration at times they may be teary as they're trying to get their words out. So I think um, some patients with stroke in the left side of the brain where our speech center is may actually know that they're having problems but are having a difficult expressing it uh, or difficult time expressing that. So, but there definitely are strokes and syndromes that present with complete neglect. Most strokes though, however, especially the, the ones that don't involve the outer part of the brain, which is the cortex, more of the um, deeper structures, those tend to you know, present with either kind of pure motor problems or just weakness on one side of the body, um, weakness and numbness on one side of the body or just numbness on one side of the body. And so those patients typically are very aware that something's not right. Um, and so those patients, you know, are able to tell us exactly what's happening. What are some general causes of stroke? The biggest risk factor for stroke is uncontrolled hypertension. Um, something that can easily be controlled and when you work, when a patient works with their primary care physician to lower their blood pressure if they have blood pressure. It's important to, to get to know your numbers. So first off, find out if you have hypertension. If you do, make sure you work with your, with your primary care physician to get your blood pressure within range. Um, other risk factors for stroke uh, are high cholesterol. Again, something that you should be screened for and work together with your primary care physician to get your numbers in goal. Diabetes is a, is a very big risk factor for stroke. And again, something that can be worked on with the primary care physician. Um, atrial fibrillation is a risk factor for stroke. Um, atrial fibrillation is an uh, irregular heart rhythm that comes from the top part of the heart called the left atrium. And as we age, I sort of describe to my patients that our electrical system gets old just like the rest of our body. Not sure that's completely accurate, but as we get older, we're at a higher risk of developing AFib. So, if you know, as patients get older, even if they don't have the the common risk factors for strokes, such as hypertension, diabetes, or cholesterol, um, they may actually develop atrial fibrillation, and we're at, we're at about a ten percent increased risk of developing that uh, for each decade over sixty. Um, this can be screened for in your physician's office by an EKG or even the doctor just listening to your heart. Lots of folks nowadays have. Apple watches that can pick up um, funny heart rhythms like atrial fibrillation. Um, if you do see that, it's important to bring it to your physician's attention so that they can find out if it truly was atrial fibrillation, and then potentially start people on a blood thinner prior, uh, start people on a blood thinner to reduce their risk of having a stroke. Um, so it, that is a, is a pretty common cause of stroke. And then when we think about the other risk factors of stroke, such as diabetes, cholesterol, high blood pressure. Those things can lead to what we call atherosclerosis, which is narrowing or hardening of the arteries of the head and neck, which is a risk factor for stroke. So by controlling all the other risk factors, we reduce the risk of developing narrowing of the arteries. Another important, um, you know, very, sorry, very modifiable risk factor is smoking. And many people don't realize this, and I've learned this through my years of practice, that people don't realize that smoking doesn't just cause lung cancer, which of course is a horrible, um, you know, a horrible complication and side effect of, of uh, smoking. But the most common um, disease that develops from smoking is vascular disease. So people that smoke cigarettes start to lay disease in their arteries, not just the arteries of the head and neck, but also of the heart, of the arteries that feed the heart. So people that smoke cigarettes that are very, very high risk of developing heart attacks and stroke. And so if there were any, um, you know, anything that someone could do to reduce the risk of vascular disease is to quit smoking. And I, I know it's not easy. I take care of a lot of patients, but it can be done. And I tell patients that people don't die from not smoking. 
So even if they feel like they are, they won't die from not smoking, but they may die from smoking. And, and that seems to help some of my patients to work with their, their primary care doctor and their families to abstain from, from tobacco products. But I would prefer not, have, not as a stroke doctor to have to have that conversation. I would prefer that conversation happen before that patient presents with a stroke. So it's a very important thing to keep in mind. Those are all very important risk factors, but can stress also be a part of that? Can stress cause a stroke? So stress in and of itself doesn't cause the stroke, but stress raises your cortisol levels, which can increase your blood pressure, your blood sugars, your cholesterol. Um, and so all of those things together obviously can put you at risk for stroke. So it's important to work in different ways with, with um, you know, with your practitioner, with your family, with your friends to lower your, your your stress level and lots of good tips are, are out there but some of my favorites are you know my, my absolute favorite spending time if you have pets spend time with your pets it's, it's known to actually help people live longer and live fuller lives spend time with the loved ones the people that you really care about that care about you um, and you know have dinner with your family you know as often as you can so that you can you know bond and and you know talk about the highlights of your day and Share some of the low the low times, but know that you have the support of your family with you. So reducing stress is very important. And one thing that should also be mentioned and, and a terrific way to reduce stress is exercise. And so it's, it's a hard thing to start for some people, but it definitely changes your life. And getting into the, um, the routine of a, of a healthy lifestyle, eating healthy and exercising, especially with friends and family, reduces your risk of, of you know, stress, reduces your risk of, of obesity and being overweight reduces your risk of blood pressure, high blood pressure and cholesterol. So um, lots of good ways that you can reduce stress, blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes um, to live a healthier life. How can a caregiver keep a stroke survivor motivated? That's a great question, Carolyn. And um, I will tell you in, in, in my experience, those patients that have a, a close family or friend or an advocate with them throughout their their event, um, you know, through their hospitalization and beyond, they tend to do the very best. Um, and it's so important um, for stroke patients. Um, and so what, like just call them advocates because whether they're family or friends or um, whoever they are, they are the, the stroke patient advocate. Um, it, it's very important that they're there for them to understand that stroke patients have a higher likelihood of developing depression um, and it's important that we keep an eye on that so that that doesn't interfere with their recovery. So making sure that if they're noted, you know, if, the, if the advocate is noting that the stroke patient or stroke survivor is um, seeming down or, or not really connecting or sort of um, appears to be depressed or, or disinterested, um, that they, they bring that to the attention of, of the care team so that we can address that very early on. The, most important time after stroke for recovery is the first several months. So we really want to make sure that that stroke survivor stays motivated and works with the, the therapist. Um, other things, and, and it's important for, you know, stroke survivor advocates and families to know that they need to take a break. Um, so they're going to find the strength to be there for their loved one if they allow themselves to take a break as well. And so we always encourage our, our families of our stroke patients um, that they need to take time for themselves, they need respite as well, um, and to make sure that they continue to do the things that they enjoy in life so that they can bring that joy back to that, to that patient or their family member. 
Dr. Christine Homestead, always a pleasure to speak with you and to learn from you. And you do such great things in the community. Thank you very much for keeping us informed and reminding us about reclaiming our rhythm. It's so important if we are going to take care of our families, we have to make sure we take care of ourselves first. That's right, Carolyn. Thank you so much for helping us to get the word out. Um, we want every South Carolinian to have the best and fullest life they can, especially here in South Carolina. So thanks, Carolyn. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time.